Okay. This is the last session of Awesome God. And so we need to tie some things down. And I want to read some more out of Psalms and Isaiah, uh, among other things. But I have several things to share with you. Uh, and I have to mention real quick, the disciple class starts upstairs in the balcony Sunday at 9.30. And this is a very heartwarming, informal time. If you want to get to know people, if you want to bond with your brothers and sisters, you actually have a chance to do that. We share things in a very personal way, which uh, helps that along. And uh, you get all kinds of uh, strength and guidance uh, about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus every day. Also on March uh, 7th, we have uh, Mission Uno, uh, Mission Diaria Aprender de Jesus, uh, which Israel is going to very kindly help me with. <laughs> on March 7th, 9 to 12, uh, probably up in the balcony also. We have so much stuff going on here. Um, okay, let me just go through this real quick here. What is this you're seeing? Tell me. What kind of a brain? <laughs> yes, a healthy, vibrant human Brain. This is the activity that you really want to have in your brain right here. You can actually see the electrochemical firing. And this is what it looks like when you are creating new brain cells, new neurons, new neuron pathways in the brain, which means you have to do something different. You can't do the same thing every day and think that you're going to have a healthy brain. You actually have to shake it up. You have to learn some new things. You actually have to kind of go a little different way to get where you want to go. You have to try something different. If you've never made an egg on toast, you make an egg on toast. If you have never played a guitar, uh, you play a guitar. You do things that help you to expand and um, actually, one of the interesting things that they've done in research has to do with orchestras. Do you know that people in orchestras have more gray matter than the rest of us? Why? Why? The volume of their brain. Their brains are actually heavier because they have more gray matter. Because they have had to learn a whole series of sets of skills in order to have mastery over this instrument and to be able to cooperate in sync with a hundred other people or 80 other people. It, it takes something elaborate in the brain and, and it creates all these additional connections, interconnectivity in the brain that most human beings don't have. Um, okay, well, I, just thought, I thought it was interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe more gray matter isn't what you're looking for. I don't know. But it is another interesting thing. Um, <laughs> uh, you not only expand your brain, you not only get a more vibrant brain, but um, as uh, James Allen actually said, if you want to renew your body, beautify your brain. 
You can't expect your body to be totally uh, thriving <laughs> if your brain is just struggling to survive. You're dog paddling through life. I don't know if I can... You've got to be doing something of a mastery thing. You've got to, you've got to be getting on top of something, and including maybe on top of your health. It's possible. It's possible. Now, I'm not saying you do any crazy, you know, what's it called? Something 90X and all that. All these different uh, crazy workouts. I'm not saying that, but something. Something. If you, if you want to learn Tai Chi, Vaughn will show you. Vaughn will show you. <laughs> okay. Well, it's just motions, all right? I turned the sound off because they say dumb stuff, but the motions are good for your body and for your brain. Uh, so... You can't have a body that's operating on all cylinders and have a brain that's just kind of ho-hum, so-so, not looking for a challenge, no goals, no determination, no, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Two go together. And he goes on to say this, beautiful thoughts of all kinds crystallize into habits of grace and kindliness. Now, I'm going to take this slow because uh, this is kind of related to Galatians 5 even. Beautiful thoughts. What does the Apostle Paul say? Fix your minds. Set your minds on things above. Fix your thoughts on what he quoted last time. <laughs> Everything that's excellent and pure. Uh, okay, so kindliness which solidify into genial and sunny circumstances. Tell me what that means, people. What does that mean? Habits of grace and kindliness which solidify into genial and sunny circumstances. He's from England. Somebody help me here. <laughs> this is British syntax from the early 1900s. Anybody? Anybody? Yes, you know how many people are just complaining all the time? Have you noticed that? <laughs> yes. yes, yes. Too much complaining, too much complaining. You have thoughts that are negative, pessimistic. You're not being thankful in any way. Uh, you, 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 you got some stinky thoughts, man. Those are of no, of no use. And then if you have even like perverted thoughts, that's, that's even the, the, the thoughts are even darker and they're more shriveled up in the brain. That's the way it works. But habits of grace and kindliness which turn into sunny circumstances. Now, this is not, you know, just uh, Pollyanna stuff. This, this, is, this is now being proven by neuroscience. What James Allen is saying, and almost, I would say a third of what he says in his book is, has been proven by neuroscience uh, just in the last uh, 40 years. Uh, pure thoughts, here we get away from the perverted thoughts and we're going toward pure thoughts, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul talked about in Philippians. 
pure thoughts crystallize into habits of temperance and self-control. What does Galatians 5, 22-25 talk about? Self-control, the final one, final part of what is produced by the Holy Spirit. Self-control. If, if you don't focus on getting some kind of control over self, which means intervening on some of your thoughts, you will never establish self-control. You, you actually have to stop yourself when you are thinking the wrong thoughts. You're not doing what the Apostle Paul said. You interrupt yourself. What is that called when you realize what you're thinking and you stop yourself? What is it called? Huh? Okay, well, that too. <laughs> After you realize it, hopefully you do repent, you confess. But it's built into the brain. It's called metacognition. The brain is designed, see, Carl knows this. The brain is designed where metacognition does all these different things for you. And some of it's connected to physiological, some of it's not. Uh, metacognition is actually built into the brain where you monitor. Your brain is monitoring you. And it's why sometimes you say to yourself in your own head, man, you are stupid. Why did you just do that? You're the, the brain is monitoring all the time and giving you feedback. You, you, you jam a Twinkie in your face and your brain is like, why did you do that? I'm sorry. Anybody here like, loves Twinkies? I'm sorry. Why did you do that? Uh, your, your brain has metacognition built in, and it's part of this self-control thing. It's, it's why everything that's talked about in Galatians 5 is actionable. It's operational. It's not a bunch of theology talk. In fact, all the stuff the apostles are teaching is practical, spiritual stuff. It's not theology talk. It's not just for religious people. It's for anybody who wants to have a meaningful life. Meaningful life. Because you have to have some focus. You have to have some self-control. In order to ever have pure thoughts, it goes both directions. Pure thoughts crystallize into habits of temperance and self-control. This is what comes out, which solidify into circumstances of repose and peace, which means the more self-control you and I get, the greater peace we will experience. The more fully we'll be restored. You know, if, if you're constantly doing something that you know is wrong, it, it messes with all of your electronics, all of your chemistry. It messes with you. It, it, it causes anxiety. And you cannot really rest. When do you have your best sleep? It's when all is well with the world. You, you, have, you have repented of all your sin. You, you actually you know, have been in the word of God. You've been talking with God openly and honestly. You've been trying to do the things that Jesus taught and what he did. And at night when you go to bed, you are tired and you talk to God before you fall asleep and you rest well. Your conscience, totally clear totally clean. Your thoughts are pure, and you can rest, and your body gets restored. 
These things all go together. I won't put you through all that again, but this is all the different stuff in the brain, things that were going on. If you want the PDF, I'll send it to you. Uh, but I did leave out a couple things last time. Marcus Aurelius, one of the uh, more thoughtful emperors, Roman emperors, uh, I guess, says very little is needed to make a happy life. It is in your way of thinking. Everybody who has a happy life knows this. You have a happy life or a joy-filled life based on the way you use your mind. Don't think that you can just run your mind, your brain on automatic pilot and have joy and happiness. It doesn't work that way. You actually have to be weeding the garden. <laughs> and you have to be focused on all the good stuff, just the way the Apostle Paul says, in order to get a life of peace and joy. And there's some simplicity in it because you know that it's a matter of uh, self-control and of thinking. Uh, we talked about this last time. We touched on these things. I want to read you a couple of other uh, passages. We ended up on this one. And the point uh, in Galatians uh, 6, 8, if you, if you went on to that next chapter, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap what? Eternal life. You reap what you sow. This is the most fundamental principle ever. And there are people in the world today who don't believe it. A lot of people in the world today do not believe this. They think they can do whatever they want to with no consequence. They think they can get away with everything forever. They're totally wrong. Totally wrong. And they actually reap the consequences in this life, too. You do a bunch of stuff, you sow to your sinful nature, you will get a big pile of junk. And it will not only get in your way, it can end up destroying your soul. Destroy your soul. Yes, Paul? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, it, it could help us, it could. Um, <laughs> listening to praise songs of some sort definitely should help. Uh, the one who sows to please his sinful nature. You spend time thinking about yourself. A lot of time thinking about yourself. You might actually spend more time thinking about yourself than you think you do. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. You start out as a little baby, and the world revolves around you. And then you live for 45 or 50 years, and your still little brain is thinking, the world revolves around me. Nothing has happened. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, it's part of the human condition. It is a serious problem. Um, and the only thing that happens in terms of human development that's any good, maturity, spiritual maturity, the only thing that happens that's any good is when you and I realize the world does not revolve around me. 
It all hinges on Jesus Christ. Just like the Apostle Paul says, it all hinges on Jesus Christ. Everything hinges on him. Not me. Not me. And if I do stuff that is the opposite of what my creator and sustainer tells me to do, I am going to hurt myself. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to hurt some other people. Uh, we have to use our minds uh, for what they were designed. And they were designed for this. They were designed for love, for peace, for joy, for patience, for kindness, for goodness, for faithfulness, for gentleness, and self-control, which end up being, it ends up being the anchor. You know, if you have enough self-control to deny yourself watching uh, two TV shows, and in place of it, spend that hour in the Word of God, digging, exploring, and talking to God about what He is saying, and seeking spiritual understanding. Do you know how much more vital your mind and your heart and your life will be? Just from that little change out. You've got to sow to the spiritual. You've got to sow to the spiritual to get that outcome that's according to the design and the will of God. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Uh, one of the ways we waste our lives is not doing this. You know how many billions of people on the face of the earth are not doing this, including a bunch of Christians? They're not doing this. You know how much healthier your brain would be if you did this, your brain would, you've been set free. Everybody, okay, who, you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, raise your hand. Raise your hand, keep it up, keep it up. Your hand is up, you are free. You are free. You are free. You're, you're no slave. You, you can put it down. You're, you've been rescued. You have been rescued. Jesus Christ talked about, it's talked about in Isaiah, even before chapter 53. Isaiah, he, he's saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to set the captives free. And then the Hebrew writer says, and the son is leading many sons to glory. Jesus Christ comes to set you free. And part of what that means is your mind does not have to be enslaved an automatic pilot to Satan and a bunch of worldly, meaningless, superficial stuff. You are set free from that. You're set free from self. When you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you, you're not just denying self. You are dying to self. You're dying to sin. You're dying so that you can live to God, openly to God. You can only do that in Jesus Christ. You can't do that any other way. You can't make that up. Only God can make that happen by his power, by his holiness. And here he is. He's telling us, cast your cares on me. Because why? Why does he say cast your cares on him? He cares. 
Well, he can handle it, but he, he, he cares. He, he can do something with it. Do you know how many millions of times in my 63, almost 63 years of living, I have prayed and God has answered? I don't even know the number. It's a massive, massive number. I, I pray about something and I see the result so often and sometimes quickly. It's crazy. It's crazy. I try to genuinely talk to God about these things. I try to give him these things. I don't carry dread around. Uh, Cheryl will say, you know, a lot of times, like, if somebody offends me, I'm only offended for one second. <laughs> if they hurt my feelings or do something really bad, you know, maybe a little bit longer. But I, I forgive fast because I'm going to hand it off. I'm not going to carry that thing around with me. I'm giving it to God. And part of that is because of Jesus' teaching. If I don't forgive, guess what? He's not going to forgive me, man. That's the way it's set up. You forgive because God has forgiven you. And if you don't forgive, he won't forgive you. That's, the, that's one of the starkest verses Jesus ever put out there. You don't forgive, no forgiveness for, for you. You just totally negated the grace of God by your not wanting to forgive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you end up hurting yourself. You end up having bad blood chemistry, brain chemistry, until you resolve it, until you forgive. You, and you have anxiety about it. And you're, you have all of this static in your mind. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I actually think that um, we have more uh, hate and anxiety and maybe even rage inside of us than we would ever want to say. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just putting it out there. <sighs> Satan has a way of tangling us up with whatever he can tangle us up with. It's a long shot for him, especially if you have a good heart and you're trying to do the will of God. It is a long shot. You're not his territory. You don't belong to him. He didn't make you. He didn't think you up. He didn't save you. He's just trying to crush you. He's just trying to twist you into a little ball and jam you in the corner so, to save you to go with him into the fiery lake when it's time. I mean, the, the, he, he only has one game, and it's a stupid game. Yeah. It's a very stupid game. It's called destruction. He will find ways, if you and I don't use our minds, our thoughts, our hearts properly, he will find a way to get us tangled up in bitterness, tangled up in bad habits, tangled up in a wasting of time, and I could even say technology and other related things. Uh, you only have so much time on earth. And man, it is for pre preparation for heaven. It's not for anything else. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. We can all, yeah. It's, it, it's possible for human beings to always do something dumb, say something dumb. Um, the way it's set up, though, in terms of our relationship in Christ is that hopefully we will forgive each other quickly. Hopefully, if we are listening to Jesus, hopefully we'll actually take turns helping with each other's burdens. Hopefully, you know, if, if I'm not feeling strong, but you are during that time period, you help me out. If you're going through a time and you're feeling kind of weak, I try to help you out. That's the way it's set up. I mean, that's, and it's, that's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. Uh-huh, right, um, right. You know, I, I started a group therapy about a year ago in December, and it's like, I wasn't alone anymore. Uh-huh. I was talking to things about the group, and yeah. discussing. Yeah. Because we all felt like we were alone until we got together. Right. And I know that wasn't fear, but that's the best feeling when you're not alone. Well, and any time two or three people here want to get together to pray, to strengthen each other, man, do it. Do it. You need to be looking out for each other. But together, we need to be doing this. Individually, we need to be doing this. Otherwise, we get overwhelmed. And I think this is especially true with our elders. I don't know how they do this, but our elders have to deal with a lot of stuff that you never hear about. And part of it, Ricky and I don't hear about. <laughs> a lot of stuff. You know, uh, on the rolls, we're actually about 600 people. Not 512, 600 people. I, I'm, I'm following more than 600 people all the time, including people who have gone on from here. There are sheep that need to be cared for. And you and I can take turns. We can do stuff that, with the people that we know. I can't do it for everybody. Ricky can't do it for everybody. But we can take turns and encourage each other to do it and pray for each other in it. Yes, Calvin. Yes. Now, this is the thing. I mean, human beings do have a capacity to control things or their environment in some way. I mean, it's built in. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, Adam, Adam was told to name all these animals. Yeah. Uh, he had dominion over all of this that, that God created. But uh, that, that's the capacity. <laughs> in the end, in the end, the self-control is really the key. And you have, you have a, a kind of a paradox. You have a lot of human beings who want to control situations and control other human beings, but to actually learn self-control, very difficult, very difficult. It's like the, the hardest thing, the hardest thing. Um, 
And some of our problems come, you know, when we, you know, different people want to control whatever. I mean, it's, but we need to cast our cares on him. And that's, that frees up a lot, a, a lot. He has the, the power and the will and the love to do it. Um, Peter says in his second letter, I have written to remind you to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. So Peter, the apostle Peter, who, you know, is explaining to people on the day of Pentecost what to do to follow Jesus Christ, what to do to, to be saved, that same Peter is saying, I gotta write you a letter because I need to help you have wholesome thinking. Yeah, because it's not the normal thing in the world. It, yeah. you, know, you know, so many people in the world think that wholesome thinking is naive thinking. They think, really? Yeah. That, that's what you think? think well, I, I know other stuff exists. I know it happened, but I, this, this is what I am thinking about the situation and what you're talking about. Wholesome thinking. It's a, it's a healthy thinking that is healthy because... It's from God's vantage point. All, you know, all this talk about godly training. The Apostle Paul, you know, he's talking about being trained in godliness, pursuing godliness. All of that training stuff has to do with this, wholesome thinking. What good is it to have people who say they follow Jesus Christ, but their thinking isn't wholesome like the thinking of Jesus Christ? That's the whole point of Philippians. <laughs> you need... The whole point of the, even the, one of the letters to the Corinthians. You need to have the mind of Christ. You need to have the attitude of Christ. The viewpoint, the disposition of Jesus. That's the whole point of following him and becoming holy in character and thinking like him. It's the whole point. Uh, how are you going to fully enjoy God for eternity if your mind isn't even starting to be calibrated this way? How are you going to... Really enjoy his awesome glory and his uh, awesome holiness for eternity. If you and I aren't focused on it now, if it's not affecting us operationally now, how is that going to happen? Is that just a pipe dream? Not according to the apostles. Wholesome thinking. James Allen says this, He who has conquered weakness has pushed away all selfish thoughts. What do you think about that? What do you think about that, people? It, it relates to the self-control thing. I'm not sure that you can do this uh, totally. I'm not sure you can do this uh, especially without the help of God's Holy Spirit. Um, people can say as much as they want to, I'm, I'm trying to be less selfish. And it lasts for two point Nine minutes, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, anyway, he, he has the right idea where you and I actually have to deliberately push away from selfish thoughts, self-oriented thoughts. And the only way to move away from that is to have God-oriented thoughts. When you're baptized into Jesus Christ, guess what? The old man, the old person is dead. Dead. He likes this one. <laughs> the old person is dead. Not, not just, well, I got, I got really wet. No, you're dead. The old person is dead. That is what the apostles taught. 
You died with Christ in baptism. Why? Not just to have your sins forgiven, but to be raised, to be raised to a new life. And, and who, is, who is your life in the new life, according to Paul? Christ. Colossian, Christ is your life. Christ living in me. So you're, you're raised. You have the Holy Spirit in you now. You're raised to a new life. You're a new creation. You have a different mind. And from that point on, you're going to be migrating away from self and moving toward God. You're thinking more about God than you are about yourself. You're wanting more the will of God increasingly than you do want what you want. I want what I want. I prefer this. I don't like that. Why do they do that? If you died to self, you are now God-centered, not self-centered, and you are moving toward a God-centered, dominated view and thought process. And Paul even says that in some detail in Colossians, if we can ever get there. Um, it's related to that. Um, let, me, let me just get to the Ephesians passage. That would be helpful. Okay, let me just keep moving here. Uh, law, not confusion, is the dominating principle in the universe. That's for sure. Uh, Ephesians 4.22 uh, helps in this a little bit. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by evil desires. So if, when you're living by the flesh, you're living in a, in a fleshly way before you come to be in Christ, this is what's going on. Evil desires dominate, even, even if you're trying to suppress them. Even if you're trying to seem nice, uh, they dominate. Uh, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Where does the holiness and righteousness come from? You're not manufacturing it yourself. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the only perfect one, the anointed one, the one who fulfilled the law perfectly. He is the one who had the Father send the Holy Spirit, John 14. He is the one who, he's our example from Paul in Philippians 2 for us to have the attitude that he has. That view, that attitude of mine, it's his righteousness. It's his holiness. He is our life, Paul says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness. So you, you see what he's saying? The old self is dead. Don't be indulging yourself the way you used to because that person's dead. Why are you inviting them back to the party? They are dead. What's the problem with you? You're new. You're a new person by the power of God. Um, so you put the new self on, and it's created to be like God in righteousness and holiness, the opposite of those evil desires. And if you and I keep on stumbling around 
and don't make some steady progress. I'm not saying perfect. Steady progress toward the example of Jesus Christ, uh, seeking his holiness, his attitude. You grieve the Holy Spirit of God. God's spirit is inside of you and you're doing a bunch of stuff that is totally opposed to the will of God. That's going to make him sad. It makes God sad. He saves you for holiness and you're not doing it. You're not focused on it. And I know how this is. It's crazy. It's crazy because you're busy. You got stuff to do. I know. You got stuff on your mind, but don't let it get in the way of this. In order to not make the Spirit of God sad, you and I have to get rid of some stuff. You can't let it stay in there. You cannot let it stay in there. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, what I was talking about a minute ago, along with every form of malice. Do you know, the, uh, crazy, was, crazy was talking about uh, people in the church. I'm telling you, I, I, I don't really want to hurt people's feelings, but if I do see Christians in the process of hurting each other, I will probably say something. And if I end up doing something or saying something to hurt somebody, I need you to intervene also. Because it's not good. And anything that actually is malicious that happens in the body of Christ is harmful. It's harmful to the body of Christ. Uh, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, uh, in, as in, in Christ, God forgave you, the thing we were talking about a minute ago. So this is the way he sums this up. I can't think of any really better way, except for Psalm 145, uh, <laughs> which I would like you to read after you leave. Um, no better way to, to kind of end out the awesomeness of God. It's one thing to look at great pictures from NASA. It's another thing to talk about really cool neuroscience that confirms what the Word of God has been saying for thousands of years. Um, you know. It's, all of that is great, and it does reflect on the awesomeness of God. But you know what's really awesome? You being changed by the power of God from the inside. Now, that is awesome. When a human being who has certain inclinations allows the living God, who is creative, wondrous in every way, to bring his glory into your soul, into your living, now we're talking awesome. And Jesus Christ brought the glory of God, the glory of God to earth. That's why he was talking about the Father nonstop. And it's why he's called the glorified Christ when he comes back, he's resurrected, and he appears to 500 people, and he eats fish with them glory of God, the power of God at work. All of the stuff we looked at, all the scientific things, really mind-boggling. I mean, every single thing is mind-boggling that God has done. And Psalm 145 points that out. You want to be reminded, read Psalm 145 again. I think I told you to read it six other times. Psalm 145, you could read it every day, wouldn't hurt you a bit. 
But there's nothing more convincing that God is awesome, he is powerful, than him staying with you every step of the way, and me, even though we are not consistent. <laughs> oh boy. We're not consistent. But he is able to change us. And over time, you see it. You get to experience it. Your loved ones get to experience it. If you're married and you pray with your wife and you talk about these kinds of things and you work about these things together, if you have a close friend and you pray about these things and you, you walk in these things and you are helping each other to get stronger spiritually, you actually begin to see how truly awesome the faithful love of God is. It can change you completely. Completely. To where the time, when it's time for you to go, you're a totally different person than you are even sitting here today. You're not just getting new neuron paths. Uh, your mind is really being fully renewed by the power of God, spiritually, in such a way that you are really ready and you are expectant about the coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, that'll be an awesome day. An awesome day for everybody who is in Christ Jesus. So we have motivation to live it. We have motivation to share it. But first, we have to live it. We have to live it. If we're not quite living it, the sharing it isn't as effective. <laughs> uh, you know, you try, you do your best, but the more we live it, the more we're praying through it, the power of God comes to bear, and even you are surprised at how awesome he is in his faithfulness. Every morning you wake up to his faithfulness. Every morning his mercies are new. Every morning he is ready to give you the strength, the endurance, the patience, the love to move through another day on earth in preparation, in formation to become more like his son. Our God is awesome. He's truly awesome. And um, the uh, Psalm 145, great is the Lord. No one can measure his greatness. Great is the Lord. No one can measure his greatness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for helping us to see more clearly how awesome you are. Father, help us to explore and to know you more. Just like you saying through Paul to the Colossians in chapter 1, uh, Father, that letter, help us to, to know you better and better. Father, to focus on you more and more so that we can know who you are and, and, and really understand uh, your righteousness, your holiness, and how it can transform us, how your spirit can transform us into the likeness of your son Jesus. And this is exactly what you want for us. 
This is who you want us to become. And I thank you. I thank you for every soul sitting here, and I pray that this will help to activate each one of us in a closer walk with you and a reliance, a greater reliance on you and on your power to change us according to your will. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus the Christ who saves us. Amen.